good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here with us. And those who are joining us online, thank you for being with us as well, virtually. Take your copy of God's Word and go to Genesis chapter 3. We're in our series on creation, and we come this evening to what I've simply entitled The Fall, Genesis chapter 3. And when man was created, as we have learned through our study, God created everything, the universe, all that exists. He created all the animals. He created, he created everything, and then he created man. He created Adam. Last week we saw where Adam was alone and was the first time God declared that wasn't good, something that wasn't good. So he created Eve and brought her to him. The first marriage took place in the Garden of Eden, and we talked about all that. In that state, when they were married and in the garden before sin, we need to remember that everything was perfect. Everything that God created was good. Uh, they were good. Creation was good. There was nothing imperfect in the universe. In fact, the earth was perfect. The animals were perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. Uh, in fact, think of two ways that they were perfect, that we are imperfect uh, because of sin. First and, and foremost, they were uh, spiritually perfect. They had never sinned or offended God, and there was nothing between uh, them and God. They were innocent, if you will, before God. Uh, one writer said they were oblivious to sin. They didn't know what it was. They were just in the perfect before God, uh, oblivious to sin, uh, in, a, in a perfect fellowship, at, at ease with one another, at ease with God. I mean, imagine, uh, as the Bible would say, in the cool of the day, uh, walking and fellowshipping with God, at ease with one's creator. Uh, sin messed all that up, but that's how they were in the garden before, before the fall. And then we think of their perfection even physically, their bodies. When God created Adam and Eve, they were not created to die. They weren't created to uh, suffer disease or death or, or any of the things that we discover today. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, COVID wouldn't stand a chance. There's, there was no, uh, no sickness, okay? No, in the Garden of Eden, nobody would have caught a cold or the flu or, or, or anything because creation was perfect and there was nothing bad about it. In fact, on a serious note, they weren't created for their bodies to age or, or to face death. Sin brought that because God very clearly warned them and said, in the day that you eat of the fruit or, or basically in the day that you disobey me, you will surely die. And so death was both spiritual uh, and physical. And they were perfect initially in the Garden of Eden with no sin. Now that perfection, oh, and by the way, think about this. You say, well, boy, I'd really, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be nice to be like that again? Well, you will be, okay? If you're saved, uh, there's coming a day when you will realize the perfection that you already have in Jesus Christ. You see, the moment you got saved before God the Father, you are now restored to that perfection in his son Jesus Christ and his righteousness but one day when we get our resurrection body we'll be removed even from the presence of sin there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we will be restored to that perfect condition spiritually and physically our resurrection bodies won't die our resurrection bodies won't get cancer or have disease and really sure that in our resurrection bodies we won't even get fat I mean so I won't have to do, I won't have to do, what do they call that? Uh, alternating fasting, or I won't have to, I won't have to count calories. I won't have to do any of that stuff, right? 
because in our resurrection body, it'll be, it'll be perfect and we'll be restored to how God created us to be. So those of us who are saved, uh, what a glorious thing that is to look forward to, right? No, no sickness and, and certainly perfection in God. But in this chapter, we find that, that that perfection, that initial condition came under attack. And the antagonist of the entire Bible, and an antagonist is a person who's opposed, who's, who's the uh, opposition in a story or a narrative, throughout the human narrative, if you will, throughout human history, the antagonist has been Satan. He, he has and continues to do all he can to ruin what God created perfect. The Bible says, Jesus said, Satan, the thief, came but to, for one purpose, to kill, steal, and destroy. That, that's what he wants to do. Another passage says he, he, he roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That picture fits perfectly with verse 1, because here, if you will, is Adam and Eve in this garden, enjoying perfection and fellowship with God. And who shows up but the antagonist of the universe, the one that wicked one comes into the garden. So pick up the, the account in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, we've probably, as Christians, this is a Sunday night crowd. You're the scholars of the church. Um, we've probably read this passage Hundreds of times, literally, maybe thousands. Because, you know, everybody who starts to read the Bible starts in Genesis. And you at least make it to chapter 3. So a lot of people have read of chapter 3, okay? But think about what it says right here. Just, just get, just pause for a minute. Now, the serpent was more cunning. Okay, stop. We have a cunning servant. God didn't make him that way. I mean, in fact, think about this. Snakes pretty much anathema to most people today. Don't like snakes. Um, I don't hunt them down, but if they show up in my yard, they usually don't leave if you get my drift, okay? Um, snakes. We don't, we know, most people are not fans of snakes and reptiles, but we know that when God created them, because God created snakes, they weren't as we see them now, because we know that God cursed them to slither, verse 14, in the same chapter, when, when, because the serpent was involved with Satan in this temptation, God said, you'll slither on your stomach now and eat the dust of the earth. So that indicates that before the fall, the snake didn't slide around on its stomach. You say, whoa, that's interesting. So what did the snake look like? I have a clue. I don't, I, I don't know. However, I would suggest this. Satan is really smart. Instead of him just showing up in the garden like an, like an angel because he was a created cherub, instead of him just showing up in the garden and startling Eve, he picks something that she's used to seeing. Everybody follow me? In other words, she's used to seeing serpents at whatever, whatever form they were before the fall, along with all the other animals in the garden. So it would not have been unusual for her to see a serpent while she's hanging out in the garden. Now, what should have been a clue... What should have been a red flag was that it started talking to her, right? Because what do we know? What do we know from our study so far? God only created two people, one creature type, humanity, who had 
the gift of language and could converse with him in a language and speak to one another. The animals, none of the rest of the animals could do that. Okay? So we have this serpent who's more cunning than all the other animals in the, in the garden. Satan is, is, is really slick. What he did is he basically possessed this creature, this animal, this serpent. Now, again, some of you are sitting here now going, well, why did God let him do that? Well, God had a plan, and this is all part of the plan. God wasn't caught by surprise, but Satan possesses the, the serpent and begins to converse with Eve, begins to talk to her. Now, the fact that he's cunning speaks of Satan. The snake was just a snake in whatever form he was before he was cursed to slide around on his belly. He wasn't cunning any more than any other snake running around the garden. However, when Satan took over, he was very cunning because Satan is cunning. And cunning means that he's, that he's intelligent. And, and listen, we need to understand this as Christians today and watching online and here. We're no match for Satan. He's smart. Listen, he, he's been at this a long time. I don't know how long it was from creation to the flood. And then we have some idea of how long it's been from the flood till now. And, you know, theologians and people, I'm a, I'm a young earth theorist, okay? I don't think the earth is more than 10,000 years old, you know, 12, somewhere in there. We're st earth is certainly not hundreds of millions or billions of years old, okay? So however many thousands of years it's been since the Garden of Eden, Satan's been at it right, for them thousands of years, messing with every generation of human beings who come along. So he's good at this. So I'm just saying to you, we need to learn from her mistake, right? I mean, we can see what happened to her, and then we can say to self, self, let's not do that, right? Let's not be deceived, and let's not, let's not go down that road. So we have this, we have this cunning serpent, and, and, it's, and it's Satan, who now has come to Eve, and we know about Satan. We know his history because the Bible tells us. In Isaiah uh, chapter 14, we know what happened. He was created as a cherubim. In fact, he was a covering cherub. And we, we, we talked about in our Sunday school, in our, small, in, our, in our Bible group here not long ago, he was a, a cherub, and not just a cherub, but a covering cherub, which is the indication that not only was he a cherubim, who are near the throne of God, they're in the inner circle, if you will, around the throne of God, but he was a high up cherub, like covering over God's throne, maybe sitting across top of it. And uh, one day what happened to him? Pride in his heart. He was, saw God on his throne and saw all the glory of God. And in his heart, he said, man, I want that. I, I want to be like that. I want to be worshiped. I want to be like God. And of course, as soon as he sinned, God removed him from his place and, and expelled him from heaven. And think about this, how persuasive Satan must be, because he got a third of the angels to go with him. Now, how does that happen? I mean, think about it. How does that happen? God created all the angels, and the Bible says they're innumerable. There are so many you can't count them. And yet Satan has pride in his heart. God removes him from his position, and he convinces a third of the angels to rebel against God. The guy is good. That's all I'm saying. He's good because God created him a powerful covering cherub, and he went wrong. He, he, he sinned in his heart, pride. But he uses now all that God created for him to be, uses it for evil. He uses it for bad. 
And so it's no, it's no mistake that as soon as God creates, who shows up in the garden? Mr. Bad himself. The guy who, who sees the good that God created and now wants to ruin it and wants to destroy it and wants to, and wants to destroy what God created to be good. So here's his first appearance in the garden. And now think about his dialogue with Eve for a moment. What is his goal here in verse 1? Why does he, he says to her, his first statement, look at it again. Has God indeed said, pause. What's he doing right there? He's questioning the word of God, isn't he? Let that sink in for just a minute. What does every heretic and every opponent to Jesus Christ in the world ever done? That. They question the word of God. They question the written word of God. They question the command of God. They que- they, listen, they, they raise doubt on the veracity of God's word. There's a book that's not in print anymore. I don't even remember the guy that wrote it. I have it on my shelf at home. It's called uh, Daniel in the Critic's Den. That's what it's called. That's the title of the book, Daniel in the Critic's Den. And this guy deals with all the attacks on Daniel and, and all, you know, all the accusations because we know from studying Daniel on Sunday morning that Daniel's a pretty powerful book about the veracity of God's word, isn't it? And about prophecy and, and all that. So critics attack Daniel a lot. And they'll even say it wasn't written in the 6th century. It was written in, in the intertestamental period when it was history. No, 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 no. No, it's all prophecy, okay? And, it was right, and God's word is right. But what is Satan doing here right out of the chute with Eve? Did God say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Let me tell you something. Boy, this is so good when I was studying this week. We do the, people do the same thing today. And I wrote down a list. Listen, when we want to sin, when our heart is given to sin, when we're tempted and we're going to give in to sin, here's what we say to ourselves. We say it to ourselves. Has God really said I can't do that? Is it really that bad? Did God really mean it? Do we not? We do that. We, we begin to make excuses for why we can do what we want to do instead of doing what God said to do. I wrote some down. Has God indeed said you can't sleep with your girlfriend? Did God really say that? I mean, you know, everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. Did God really mean that? Oh, here's another one. Did God really say, I have to be monogamous to one woman and live with her my whole life and not have any other women on the side? Did God really mean that? Because you know what I hear people say on the news and scientists go, well, you know, we're not made that way. So if I want to sin, I can go, well, you know, they say we're not made that way. And so maybe God didn't really mean that. What are we doing? We're doing the exact same thing, aren't we? We're questioning the veracity of God's commands. Has God indeed said, not to lie. Well, God, in this situation, I need to lie, right? I mean, we justified ourselves. God, I need to, I need to, I need to tell something that's not completely the truth because, and then we give all our becauses, and what are we doing? We're questioning the word of God. We're questioning his command. How about this one? Has God indeed really said, be holy? Can I be a little holy? Can I be some holy? Can I be holy today and maybe a little bit tomorrow? You see what we do? We, 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 we question the absoluteness of God's word. Has God really said, don't lust after the things of this world? Has God really said, 
said, listen to this one, has God really said the wages of sin is death? Because that's what Satan's getting to right here. Has God really said I'm going to die and go spend eternity in a lake of fire if I don't get saved? Because lost people will look at you and go, yeah, I ain't buying that. What are they doing? They're questioning the veracity of God's word. Now, here's the sad part. Eve didn't get it till after the fact, but what God said is always true, isn't it? It's always true. You do what God said not to do, just duck, because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get hard. I mean, it's coming, because God means exactly what he says. And she found that out. Let me tell you two purposes for his question here. Number one, he, he's questioning the motive of God. And listen, all sin does that. And anybody who's against the word of God questions the motive of God. In other words, what Satan is saying, did God really say you can't eat of all the, gar all the fruit in the garden? And what he's focusing on is the one restriction and saying, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have what really is the best because that's the best tree. God's holding out on you. Listen, God's not really giving you everything that you deserve. And boy, we like that, don't we? Boy, I deserve more. I hear people say that sometimes. Well, I deserve, and I go, stop. Who said you deserve anything? Well, it's a human right. Who said? Well, I get tired of hearing that too. It's a human right to have this sin. Who said? Who? Last time I checked, God's the one making the rules, not you. Who, who said? That's what Satan's doing right here. God's holding out on you. God didn't want to give you the best. Did he really say he can't eat of all these trees? And his insinuation is, how dare God do that? He didn't have a right to do that. How dare him? Secondly, he's attacking God's goodness and his grace. Notice there's no mention of here of the garden that is absolutely overflowing with everything else you could possibly want to eat. And what did God tell them? Eat all that you want. Eat it till you, you know, eat all you want. Have all you want. It's, matter of fact, it's more than you can possibly eat. Just have all you want, except the one tree. Don't bother that one. And what does Satan do? He turns it around. So what he's saying to her is, look, God's really not all that good to you, because if he was really good to you, he'd give you what you want. Boy, young people like to say that all the time, don't they? If you love me, you give me what I'm asking for. No, it's because I love you that you ain't ever getting it. I mean, really, that, that, that is, and that's exactly what God does to us. God said to them, don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God knew that's the wrong way for you to find out about sin. That's the wrong way. Now, I fully believe, and, and I, you can disagree, agree, disagree. It's all right. I fully believe that had Adam and Eve obeyed God and did it God's way, he would have taught them sooner or later. He would have taught them about everything. He would have taught them, and they could have learned the right way. They could have learned from God good and bad. I think he would have taught them about Satan. I mean, hey, I, I, God had fellowship with them, and they were going to have, God wanted to have fellowship with them forever. So why wouldn't he have taught them, okay? But you know what they did? They believed a lie and took a shortcut, and it cost them everything. And so Satan attacked, the, uh, attacked God's motive, and he attacked uh, God's goodness. Well, I don't have to point it out. You already know that that's exactly what people do today. Something bad happens in their life, and who do they blame? 
If God loved me, he wouldn't let that happen. You don't know how many times as a pastor I've heard that. Why would, why would God let whatever happen? Why would God allow me to have this sickness? Why would God allow? And it's always God's fault. Isn't that amazing? It's always God's fault that something, that something bad is happening. Now, there are two answers to that. And Satan is trying to say it's God's fault. But listen to me. I would say about 80% of the time, the person who's saying, why would God let this happen, did it to themselves. Follow what I'm saying? In other words, they made choices in life that brought them to where they are, and now they're blaming God for it. And sometimes I have the unfortunate job of saying to them, well, back up just a minute. You didn't get where you're at right now since yesterday, and I think you've been on, a, on the wrong path for a long time that got you where you are. So here's what you need to do. Confess your sin. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Get on the right path and go back the other way. And, and, and that's how you, God will bless you out of this thing. God's not going to go omni-domni and suddenly all your problems are gone because you just brought yourself here. But God will certainly help you get where you need to be if you, and they all, for some reason, they don't like that answer. I mean, for some reason, that's not really a receptive answer. Now, for the other 20%, truly something happened to them that they had nothing to do with. In other words, this world is cursed with sin. They got cancer. They got sick. They, you know, they lost a loved one. They had nothing mad at them. It, it is because this world's cursed with sin. And for that 20%, there's the mercy of God and there's the grace of God. It's not his fault. We, Adam, we brought sin into this world, not God. God warned us what would happen. And so that's not his fault either. And, and again, Satan would say, look at the bad when here's what we were to look at. When Adam sinned and God had every right to wipe him out of existence, what did God do? He said, no, I got a plan. I'm going to send my only begotten son to die on a cross and pay for all your sin so I can put you back where you were to start with. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty gracious, isn't it? So what I'm saying is Satan tried to blame God, attacked his word, blamed, attacked God's motive, attacked his goodness, and the world is still doing the same thing today. And we as Christians have to not fall into that trap. I mean, bad stuff happens in life, and it's terrible. But God is always good. And God loves us always, no matter what happens. We just have to remind ourselves that. Now, Satan will try to blind us to that. He'll do exactly what he did to Eve. Satan will say, he'll come in the heart and he'll say to you, man, you know, God didn't really love you. You're saved. And how could God let that happen to you when you're saved? Man, I can't wait till eternity gets started. Because when we get into eternity, get to see the new Jerusalem and the new creation and get to meet Jesus face to face, we're not going to have any of these questions. And this stuff's going to be long gone, Right? And so we'll see the, the real goodness of God. So that's Satan's purpose here. He's attacking the goodness of God. He's attacking God's motive. Uh, and, and it still happens today uh, in society. Now, unfortunately, uh, Eve took the bait. And, and, she, and she, went down, she stayed there talking to him when she shouldn't have. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, again, it should have been a red flag. This thing's talking to me. And, but, but she engaged in conversation. And the woman said to the serpent, we garden. Well, that's a good statement. You can. But verse 3, she gets off track. But of the fruit of, fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it. And what's, the, what's it say? 
lest you die. Now, what's wrong with that? Is that what God said? No. What did God say? You, you will surely die. There's no less to it. There's no possible. There's no maybe. God said, in the day you eat that tree, you're going to die. Now, what she's done here is she softened it, didn't she? She said, lest we die, which you could interpret as there's the possibility we would die. She's fallen into the same trap that Satan's led her down now. She's questioning the veracity of God's word. She's entertained his thoughts. She's entertained it, and now she's wrong. Listen, I wrote down three things she should have done. Number one, she should have never questioned the, the integrity of God. She should have known better. I mean, she's been talking to God face-to-face, -face, as it were, right? Number two, again, the whole idea that this animal's talking to her, she said, where are I here? And either went and asked God. She's got fellowship with God. She didn't got to go looking for him. What about Adam, her mate? Why didn't she go get Adam and say, hey, you got to come, come here. And you know, husbands, when wives go, come here, we run. We, we're there. She should have went and got Adam, come and said, there is something really weird going on here. This, this serpent's talking to me, okay? Or at a minimum, she should have just ran away. She should have just got away from the thing and said, this isn't right. I need to be somewhere else right now and got away from it. But she stayed. And when we, listen, when we stay where temptation's at, we're, we're going to fail. Just the way it is. Because we are not strong enough. I wrote down two things we ought to do that the New Testament teaches us to avoid temptation. You ready? Boy, if we remember these, it'll help us. And one is resist temptation. Resist. You say, well, that sounds oversimplified. Should we just resist Oh, it sounds simple, but how often do we do it? Because resisting temptation is hard. Because temptation wouldn't be temptation unless we like it, right? And so if it's tempting us, Satan knows that we have a taste for that thing, whatever that sin is, and that it, it, we have a weakness for it. And so what does he do? He tempts us. James said this. James said, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll what? He'll flee from you. Now watch the two parts of that. Resisting has two parts. Number one, it is submit to God, which you can't resist without submitting to God first. And then when you submit to God, then resist Satan, and he'll flee. In my life, I don't know about yours, what I have discovered is that if I pray in the morning, God, the same thing Jesus taught us to pray, deliver me from temptation, right? Why do I pray that in the morning? Because if God just keeps me from it in the first place, I don't have any danger of falling, right? But if we enter into temptation, if we're, if, if, and it surely comes to us all day long, the first thing we do is we cling to God. We submit to him. We submit to his word, his authority over our life, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And then when we submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, it's that, it is at that point we resist Satan. We can't resist Satan in the flesh is what I'm telling you. The flesh is too weak. But if we submit to God and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, then we can resist temptation. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. God's stronger than the temptation. Why do we fail often? And I won't say often. Why do we fail when we fail in temptation? I would say because we don't submit to God first. Because we're not submitting. We're not, we're not enduring in the power. So 
The first thing for us to do is resist temptation. The second is to flee temptation, uh, to get away from it. Don't hang around where it is. Don't stay where we're, we're going to get in trouble. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul said this, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee youthful lusts. Well, not just immorality. He was saying to Timothy, flee immorality. But it's true of all sin. When, when Sherry and I were young, probably in my first six years in the Navy, and I joined the Navy when I was 19, so I was still like 22, 23, we had a circle of friends, and, and our friends in Kentucky were in that circle, John and Julie. And, and, uh, but we had, there was another couple, another young couple that we, we would have dinner with, and they, we would go out. And so there were three of us, three couples. And the, and the young man and the third couple went on deployment. And his wife was coming to church with us, and, and suddenly she started missing from church. And so, of course, Sherry and Julie called her and said, hey, where you been? Oh, you know, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. And we come to find out that she had started running around with some other ladies who were lost. And these ladies, now her husband's gone. He's on deployment for six months. And these ladies were going to male uh, strip clubs. And so she started visiting male strip clubs. Not a place I've ever frequented, but you understand what I'm saying. She starts going there. Well, what happened? She placed herself... In a, in a situation, in a place, her husband's gone. These guys, she's in there looking at these guys. So what do you think the next thing was that happened? The natural progression, she left her husband. She packed up the house. And I never felt so bad for anybody in my life. The guy comes home, gets off the ship. She ain't there to pick him up. He gets a taxi to the house, and the house is empty. That's how he comes back off of six-month deployment. Welcome home. What happened in that situation? Well, she allowed herself to get in a, in a situation where she was vulnerable. And no amount of pleading from my wife or from, from, the, from Julie, our friend, no amount of pleading from us as couples could draw her out of that. And it led to the inevitable outcome, i.e. Eve, instead of removing herself from the temptation, stayed there to the inevitable outcome. And how many times has that happened to us? I heard a guy say one time in, perf in relation to immorality and sexual sins, he said, if there's any sin you ought to run from, it's that. He said, and I mean literally, get away from it. He said, the best defense for immorality is a good pair of tennis shoes. Just get away. <laughs> and he said, he said because you got to remove yourself from the situation. And he said, don't, and he said this, he warned, and it was a good sermon. I liked it. I, I'm using part of it. He said, when you run, don't go around the corner and wait for it to catch up with you. He said, you got to keep running, keep, keep getting away from it. Um, and even when I first started in the ministry, Dr. Touchton told me, told me two things. He said, there are two things that a preacher has to be absolutely careful about. He said, one of them's money. He said, don't have anything to do with the money, and the other one's women. He said, don't, he said, don't ever, ever put yourself in a situation where, where someone would question your integrity over over women other than your wife. And he said, if you ever have an attraction to somebody in a ministry where you are, he said, it would be better for you to resign where you are and leave than to stay there and get in trouble. I mean, man, he was laying it on me. And I was like, well, maybe I don't want to be in this ministry thing, man. I don't, hey, you're scaring me now. I don't know if I want to do this. But what was he saying to me? Exactly, exactly what right here. 
don't hang around the, the potential. Don't hang around the temptation. Don't put yourself in that situation. And listen, beloved, if we would learn that as Christians, boy, it would save us a lot of heartache. It really would. Let me say one last thing about it. It's not a sin to be tempted. You follow me? Because sometimes we feel bad that we got tempted, don't we? Oh, man, why is that a temptation to me? Well, because we're human, because we're flesh and blood, and our, and our flesh has fallen, and, and it's not redeemed yet. There's no sin in temptation. The sin is entertaining the temptation. The sin is either mentally entertaining it or engaging it. That's the sin, responding to it, not the temptation. The world's full of temptation. But we have to, we have to put up the wall and, and run away from it, okay? She didn't do that, and so look what happened. Um, look down at verses 4 and 5. Now that Satan has her kind of quasi-agreeing with him, because she softened the punishment of God to surely you'll die to, well, perhaps maybe we'll die. Now here's the direct assault. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Notice what else he says. For God knows that in the day you eat of your, that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He told her three lies. He told her two bold-faced lies and one deception. The first lie is, you won't die. What did God say? You will die. Satan said, you won't die. Now, who am I going to believe? Well, I'm believing God. But he had her deceived. He already led her down the road where she's questioned God, and so now it's easy for her to go, well, yeah, maybe we won't die. Maybe God was mistaken. No, 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 no. Satan is a liar. And he's still a liar today. And when he said to her, you won't die, he was lying. Because he knew good and well what was going to happen to them when they ate that fruit. He knew, but he lied to her on purpose. Why? Because he wants to kill her. He wants to destroy her. He wants to offend God. He wants to attack God. Secondly, he said, your eyes will be opened. Well, that's a deception. That is true. Their eyes were opened. But it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Their eyes were open to understand but now they're, now they're responsible. Now they're guilty. Okay? Now they understand sin the wrong way. Now they understand sin because they sinned. And that wasn't the way to understand it. So he said, your eyes will be open uh, and, and you'll understand. Well, yeah, they understood, but it cost them everything. Isn't that the way sin works? Satan says, boy, this will be so good. This will be so wonderful. Won't this just be the greatest thing in life? And then you give in to it and it costs you everything. Destroys your life, your marriage, your home, your reputation, everything. Sin's expensive. It's expensive. And Satan loves to do this. And then finally he said they would be like God. Well, that's a lie too. What he meant was, you know what, you'll understand like God understands. Yeah, with one big caveat. You're the sinner now and he's not, okay? You disobeyed. He wouldn't tell him that either. What I'm sharing with you is this pattern right here, this whole process that we read about right here, Satan has mastered it, and he does it every day, every day. The whole, listen, the whole world system set up to this. Billboards on the road and the news and, and, and entertainment. You can hardly find something to watch on TV, or why? Because the world has, Satan has so, infiltrated the world and its system that it's all about sin. It's all about disobeying God. It's all about doing what you're not supposed to do. 
And what's heartbreaking is you try to tell young people that, and they don't understand. Only God can give them the clarity to understand. But that's what Satan's doing. He's a master at it. So, verse 6, notice what happened. Well, here's the classic path to personal sin right here. You ready? So when the woman, what, saw that a tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her a husband with her, and he ate. 1 John 2.16, John said this, For all that's in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's the exact thing that Satan used to get Eve right here in this passage. Let me show you real quick. Lust of the eyes. I would suppose that fruit was beautiful to look at, whatever that tree was. For all I know, it was the greenest, most lush tree in the garden. It looked attractive. I mean, it just looked good. So there was the potential, maybe she was standing there just looking at it. Man, that's a pretty tree. Again, that's the tree you ain't supposed to be having anything to do with. So go, go, go look at grapes or something. Don't stand there looking at that tree because that ain't the one you're supposed to be messing with. Kind of like you tell the kids, don't eat any chocolate chip cookies until after dinner. And they're standing in the kitchen looking at the bowl. Well, what do you know? As soon as you walk out of the kitchen, what's going to happen? They're going to get one, all right? They're gonna eat, and then with crumbs on their mouth, they're going to tell you they didn't, okay? So what do you do? You shoo them out of the kitchen. You say, get out of the kitchen because you're about to get a spanking. I can see it coming. It's on the horizon. Get out of the kitchen, right? That's exactly what happened here, the lust of the eyes. She sees the thing. It looks good. How about the lust of the flesh? It is to be desired. Boy, desires get us in trouble all the time, don't they? You, you, sometimes you say to somebody, why'd you do that? Because I wanted to. Why'd you do that? Boy, because I, I wanted to. Or why do you do that? Oh, because it's fun. Well, my sailors, for you who've been in the military, you can appreciate this. When I was in the military, drinking was like the norm of life. I mean, everybody, you know, when you would go to a squadron party, the squadron would buy the keg. They don't do that stuff today, to, you know, they just don't do it anymore. And my satyrs would come into work the next day, and we have all these airplanes to fix. And they would look like death warmed over. I mean, they, they would be one eye closed, you know, hair disheveled. They smell like a brewery. They're, you know, man, you know, they're carrying a trash can with them because they're sick. And, and they come in the shop, and I go, okay, boys. We didn't have any women then, so I could call them all boys. Get your tool bags. We got a whole bunch of airplanes to fix, and it's about, it's about 92 degrees out there, so uh, we're going to have fun. And they'd be moaning and groaning and wailing and weeping going on. And, and at the end of the day, I ask them, I said, why do you do that to yourself? And they go, oh, it's fun. <laughs> and I look at them, and I go, I don't drink, but I'm just from a, a non-participant, can I give you an opinion? Nothing about what you look like today looks fun. I mean, nothing, nothing about what's going on in your life today looks like fun. Why do they do it? Because of the lust of the flesh. And I just pick on the drinking, but it's for anything, isn't it? It's for any sin. And then the last one, the pride of life. You say, well, what's that one about? Because we're rebellious. 
pride. God said, don't do it. I like it. It looks good. So I'm going to do it anyway. Just like our kids, aren't they? You tell them, don't do that. You tell them, why not to do it? And then they do it. You go, why'd you do that? And they go, because I wanted to. Well, we give God that answer all the time, don't we? There's the path. There it is. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. There you go. Now, let me close with this. Up to this point, Eve, the Bible says Eve was deceived. She got into a, a mental competition that she nor us are qualified to have, and she lost. You get in that kind of competition with Satan, we always lose, especially without relying on God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the real thing that doomed us, the real thing that did humanity in was Adam. What was the difference between Adam and Eve as far as this sin goes, of disobeying God? Because they both did the same thing, right? I mean, you look at it and you go, oh, Eve ate of the fruit and she gave it to Adam and Adam ate it. Okay. Here's the difference. You ready? Eve was deceived. It doesn't, it doesn't mitigate her responsibility for doing what God told her not to do, but God's honest and God said she was outclassed and just she had no chance. But what about Adam? What does God say? But Adam was not deceived. Watch this. Adam went into the sin, eyes wide open. Adam went into sin knowing full well he clearly understood, I'm not supposed to do this. No deception, no handicap. He knew, and he flat out to be defiant to God. Now, when he did that, you know the rest of the story, right? The moment he did that, the moment he disobeyed God, partook of the fruit, his wife gave it to him, and he ate it, cast the entire human race into sin. Curse fell on creation. Curse fell on the garden. Curse fell on them, on their bodies. They died spiritually, separated from God. Their bodies began to die. Everything that was perfect became imperfect. Why? Because of sin. Adam passed that sin to every human being after him. Now, in, theolo in theological terms, there are two ways that's looked at, and I'll just give them to you real quick, and we'll close. In one term, theologians call him the federal head of humanity. And that's just a fancy term of saying he was the first human being, and because he sinned, he passed that sin to everybody. But it's more than that. He's not only the federal head, he's the, the biological origin of all humanity. He's the father of every human being who lives in the world. Now, I know people have a problem with that, and they go, how could one? Listen, God created him, said populate the world, and God started with him and Adam and Eve, and that's where everybody came from. And then somebody will go, well, that means they married their sisters. Now, that's exactly what it means, okay? But guess what? Adam lived like, oh, yeah, I don't know what, how long did he live, seven, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. How many, how many children do you think Adam and Eve had over them hundreds of years? They had a bunch, okay? And then all their kids are having bunches of kids. So it didn't take but one generation for, I don't know, that's my sister or my cousin, but I ain't seen her before in my life. It didn't take long to get to that, that's what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> it didn't take that long because there are bunches of them. And so Adam, being the, being the first human being, being the first man that went into sin, he cast us all into sin. Now here's the good news and we'll close. Adam that was created in the garden is the first Adam. Who's the second Adam? Jesus Christ. He's called the second Adam. Why? Because all the first Adam messed up, the second Adam fixed. 
he came obedient to the Father, always 33 years obedient to the Father, perfectly, never disobeyed, did exactly what the Father asked him to do, went to the cross, shed his blood to pay for all the sin of the world brought on by Adam, the first Adam, rose from the dead to conquer death in the grave brought on by the first Adam. And so when we trust Jesus, what happens? He reverses all that the first Adam did, all that he broke, all that he ruined. So in Jesus Christ, we're restored back to where the Father wants us to be. Fabulous, fabulous thing that Jesus did for us, but all started right here with Eve and, then, and Adam sinning as well. Well, tonight as we close, I pray those who are watching online or watching the video later, and maybe you're here tonight in the balcony, I pray that you're saved. I pray that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've confessed your sin and you've asked God to save you. And I pray for us as Christians that we begin our day every day asking God to deliver us from sin, asking God, trusting him and relying on him and his power to flee from sin and to resist Satan so that he'll flee from us. Satan is a, is a very real enemy of the church and of Jesus Christ. Satan, Satan hates us because we belong to Jesus. And the only way we can have victory over him, the only way we can walk in this life victorious is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved tonight, consider that. Think about that and draw close to the Lord every day. Draw close to him always to live so that he's honored. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for revealing to us uh, the plan of Satan and what he does, God. And help us to be prepared. Help us, God, to resist and the power of the Holy Spirit so that he'll flee from us and help us, God, to flee from sin, to not put ourselves into situations where we can fall. God, bless your people tonight. If there's someone here without Jesus, right now, God, may they pray, confess their sins, and ask you to save them. In Jesus' name, amen. I stand as we sing. I'll be glad to pray with you if you want to come. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No.